We want to welcome um, all of our dads this morning. Uh, what a great honor it is to have uh, that, that role in somebody's life called dad, whether that be by, uh, by birth, uh, whether that be by adoption, or whether that be by spiritual connection. What a tremendous opportunity it is to be a father, uh, to, re- to reflect the character of our father into the life of other people. Um, and so I just uh, just uh, want to honor our dads today and say happy Father's Day. May God bless you, grant you wisdom, discernment, clarity, and conviction as you continue to um, lead those who are looking up to you as, as father. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, consistent with what we've done from when we began the church. I don't know if you've noticed, um, one of the things we always did, my dad actually made us do this when we started the church, on Father's Day we've always had hot dogs. And so don't worry, we have bagels as well. If a hot dog early in the morning is not something that that really resonates with you. Had one with onions this morning at 9.30, good stuff. Um, And so, but we have bagels and we have hot dogs. You can put a hot dog on top of a bagel and experience the best of both worlds. Whatever floats your boat, we just want to enjoy you and bless you today. And so uh, I'm really excited this morning. It's a little extra. It's interesting when we picked this date, we didn't realize it was going to be on Father's Day, but it worked out real nice. I'm excited to have my son preach this morning. Joshua is a student, a, a, um, a senior at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, looking. For, he's doing his internship here, and God has given him a really solid word to bring to us this morning, and so let's give him a warm welcome as he comes. Thank you. Is this on? Okay. Thank you so much. It is, uh, it's so good to be here this morning. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I just want to welcome any, any newcomers. If this is your first time, welcome. We are glad that you're here, um, and, we, and we hope you feel at home. Uh, this is our home, and, and we just are so excited that you're with us here. Um, to reiterate, yeah, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. You know, I get the, the unique perspective um, of being someone who was raised at this church, and I'm just so personally grateful for um, the, the many fathers in this church that have always given me um, so, something to look up to, something to aspire to, and um, you've always pointed me to Jesus well. So thank you, fathers. Dad, thank you so much. I love you, and I'm so appreciative uh, of you and how God has used you in my life. Um, with that, I just want to pray a little blessing over our fathers and, um, and over the word also. So bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We are so grateful to be in your house this morning, worshiping you freely. Um, God, I thank you for the fathers here. I thank you so much that you've given us um, an abundance of examples, an abundance of role models um, in this church. You've given us men who are indeed the pillars um, of their households. And uh, I just thank you so much for them. I I pray your blessing over them on this day today and um, over their homes going forth. Um, But Lord, we ultimately thank you on this day because you are our good and perfect heavenly Father. Uh, We just worship you, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. You've been so faithful to us, your children, um, and we seek to glorify you and give you honor in everything that we do. Uh, 
I just pray over the word now this morning that um, that which is spoken um, would just teach us and um, grow us and ultimately draw us to abide with you day and day and day after day. We love you, praise you. It's in your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. All right, so today we pick up in our sermon series in Galatians, uh, the gospel, no update needed. Um, I'm gonna be going to chapter three and spending some time there. Uh, so if, if, you wanna, if you wanna go there, you can, you can meet me there. That, that would be appropriate if, if you so choose. You know, I mean, you don't have to, but you can if you'd like. That's where we'll be. <laughs> but before, before we get into the, into the word itself, I just wanna share a, a brief story with you. Any baseball fans? Okay, all right, cool. I like to see that. All right, so in 1919, the Chicago White Sox baseball team, they were unbelievable. They went all the way to playoffs, quickly went from playoffs to the World Series. And there they were playing the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series. And um, this series was intense. It lasted nine games I, don't, I, I didn't even know that that was the case, but back then, like, World Series were nine games. That's nuts. After a closely fought battle, the Cincinnati Reds came out on top. Or so the world had thought. <laughs> After some critics began to point out a number of White Sox players and say they didn't play up to speed, there was a lot of question that started to surface. Like, yeah, you know, that is true. They did play oddly bad. What, what, what happened? Next thing you know, an investigation took place, and guess what? Eight Chicago White Sox players admitted to being bribed and intentionally losing the 1919 World Series. I, I like as a Yankees fan. If that happened to me, I oh my gosh, I would lose my mind. So I can't even imagine, you know, what was going on there. Um, we we don't like to be deceived, right? As Americans, I mean, there there's certainly, I, I'm never mind, no politics. Uh, <laughs> we don't like to be deceived. We we don't like to be deceived. Nobody likes to be deceived. Uh, but this morning, I'm going to talk to you about perhaps the greatest deception. Uh, in the history. And this deception, though the White Sox deception was not, you know, fun, and it was certainly not great, somewhat it was harmless. This deception was by no means harmless. Uh, This deception entailed the misleading of souls from Christ. So, with that, We go to um, Galatians 3. I just want to remind you about last week, right? We powerfully heard Paul's message uh, in verses 2, 15 through 21 last week that salvation is by faith, right? Not by works. In other words, God bestows to us righteousness by our belief in Jesus, not by our own efforts to be righteous. Thank Jesus for that. And this is grace, right? This is the idea that God could count faith as righteousness. It's nothing that we deserved, nothing that we can earn with good works. Thank the Lord, and this is the gospel that we have received and believed. 
And the same gospel that the Galatians too received. Problem was the Galatians were fooled. They were misled by this group of people called the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who basically started teaching the Gentiles that they had to do Jewish rituals and abide by Jewish tradition in order to be saved. Right? But obviously we know, as Paul just said, it's, that's not the case. This is completely contrary to the gospel. It's faith, not works. So here's where we pick up. Paul rebukes the Galatians. He says in verse 3-1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul says that they were bewitched, like, um, like someone cast a spell over them, like they were captured, ensnared in this false teaching. He says, you fools, oh foolish Galatians. He's, he's essentially saying, are you stupid? Are you stupid? How could you be captured by this false teaching? And the, you, know, you might want to think, oh, Paul, that was a little harsh, but let me remind you here the ramifications of such a deception. Eternity separated from God. So Paul has every right to come out guns blazing, you fools, are you stupid? Who has ensnared you? He continues, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Here Paul is reminding them, don't you remember that Jesus was crucified? Have you forgotten that he has redeemed you with his own blood? Indeed, these Galatians were fools for forgetting such a thing so quickly. Now, the remainder of our text, Paul essentially is dismantling the whole teaching of the Judaizers. He's just destroying their whole argument, okay? Um, now, just with the nature of an argument, um, at least this argument in particular, Paul kind of repeats himself over and over and over again, restating what he's saying in different ways. So, for sake of time, um, we're going to actually kind of summarize Paul's argument here. And, um, and he argues in three different appeals. So, let's, let's take a look at this. The first appeal is Paul appeals to the Galatians' experience. He says in verse two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. And this is so brilliant of Paul. He reminds them, he says, don't you remember when you were saved? Don't you remember when the spirit came upon you? Was that by your works or was that by hearing with faith? Now, when, when the spirit comes upon us, when the spirit is given to us and dwells in us, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that the spirit is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance or the down payment for our uh, inheritance in heaven. So essentially he's saying here, 
Is it, is it self, is your salvation by your works or by hearing with faith? And obviously, if the Galatians had any form of recollection, they would know, no, it wasn't by works, it was by hearing with faith. The second appeal that Paul makes, Paul appeals to the Old Testament. So remember that these Galatians were deceived by Judaizers. And these Jewish Christians, they rooted their false teaching in misinterpreted Old Testament scripture. So Paul here very skillfully dismantles the teaching of the Judaizers with their own holy book, with their own constitution, if you will. So uh, let's take a look at it. Verse five. Um, Yeah, verse five. Again, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul here brings it all the way back to the beginning. Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham, you, you know this guy? Familiar? Okay. He's the, he's the founder of the Jewish faith. He is like the father of the, all the Judaizers' faith. So he brilliantly points them back. He says, do you not remember that the law which was written after Abraham is not what actually saved Abraham? Abraham was made righteous by his faith. And it's a quote from Genesis 15, 6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Again, he takes them back to the beginning, reminds them, Abraham, he was made righteous by his faith, And God promised to bless the nations through Abraham the same way, through faith. Third appeal that Paul makes. He appeals to Jesus Christ. Since he he just got done talking about salvation is by faith, right? He points to the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's read 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He he paid the penalty of our crime by being Becoming by taking on the curse for us. In other words, Jesus took on himself our punishment in our place by being crucified on a tree, which is the capital punishment in the Old Testament, by the way, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So he did this for us so that we are no longer under the curse of the law. This is why Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He paid it in full by his own blood, the penalty of the law, so that we don't have to pay it. And, and this, this is redemption, the payment 
of our penalty and the forgiveness of our sin. And therefore, Paul destroys this teaching of the Judaizers and he maintains exactly what we heard last week. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. Now we understand the text, right? But you're probably wondering, okay, so what does that mean for us today? You know, I'm not going out and participating in Jewish rituals. I don't think that that is what saves me. I've been told this over and over again. I know it's by faith. I'm not, you know, I'm not living like that. But the devastating reality is many Christians have actually bought into the heart of this deception. And the heart of this deception is that we can have salvation without Christ. See, many Christians are culturally moral people, right? They attend church weekly, they pray before meals, they, they, uh, they, they read their scripture a couple times a week, they give money, they even serve in ministries, but that's where it stops. They do what they think they have to do to mark off their spiritual to-do list, and then they carry on with normal life. Like the Galatians, they have forgotten the foundation of the Christian gospel, Jesus Christ crucified. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that Christians are forgetting that Jesus Christ was crucified. That's not even possible. We see this on, at every church, on every corner of every street, on every bumper sticker, on every chain necklace. No one's forgetting the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified. What do Christians forget? The meaning of Christ's crucifixion. The implications of his death. They forget this truth that Paul said last week we read. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I'm saying is that many Christians forget that we have died to ourselves and now actively live, live by faith in the Son of God. See, many, they, they live in ideological agreement with the Son of God, but few live by faith in the Son of God. What do you say? I, I'm saying that many people live and agree with the things that Jesus taught, Right? They even believe in the things that he did. And yet their lives aren't lived by faith in the Son of God. Let me illustrate my point here. You've all heard of Gandhi, right? He's, the, uh, he's a civil rights activist. Um, he, he pretty much abolished a, a ton of gross injustices in South Africa and, and in India. Now here's the thing, Gandhi, I think is a good man, right? We'd all think he's a good man. I even, I, be- I believe that he existed, right? You do too, you should. I believe that Gandhi did the things that he did, like the things that are attributed his name. Yeah, I, I think that he did that. I mean, I even believe the reason he did it, right? We're, we're good with justice, we like justice. But see, that's where it stops because Gandhi is dead and gone with an admirable legacy, of course, 
But that's it. No more relation to Gandhi. But you see, that's not the case with Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus Christ is the crucified and resurrected Savior. He works in the here and the now. He lives today, here and now. And Paul says, we now live, now live by faith in the Son of God. Such faith should affect every part of our life. It should affect how we think. It should affect how, how we act, how we talk, how we eat, how we drink, whatever we do. All should be done to the glory of God by faith. And see, this is the kind of faith that Abraham had. The kind of faith that God counted as righteousness, right? We are the sons of Abraham, right? Therefore, our faith needs to look a little bit like Abraham's. No, it has to look like Abraham's fully. That is biblical saving faith. So I just want to highlight here, what are, what are the three things that, what are the three ingredients that make up Abraham's faith? First, Abraham's faith was relational. Okay, Abraham lived and walked with God every single day, right? The Old Testament says that there was a covenant made between God and Abraham. Therefore, there's a close relationship here between these two. In fact, when God said, Abraham, leave your country, the author of Hebrews in 11, chapter 11 tells us that Abraham left because he wanted to go to a city built by God. In other words, he wanted to be with God. Abrahamic faith, biblical faith, faith that saves is relational. Second, faith is responsive. When Abraham was told, leave your country to the land, that I shall give you and I'll bless you, Abraham was responsive. He obeyed. Now the temptation is to think, oh, you know, of course he's gonna do that. He was promised blessing. It's, you know, he's, why, why not? Well, Abraham also obeyed when God said, sacrifice your son Isaac on the altar. Faith is responsive. It is obedient. And lastly, faith is reliant. The reason that Abraham would even dare sacrifice his son on the altar is because he was reliant upon God. The author of Hebrews in chapter 11 reminds us, tells us, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed that God could raise his son from the dead and fulfill the blessing that he was promised. Abrahamic faith is relational, responsive, and reliant. These things can't be separated from each other, and these things have to make up our faith in Jesus. See, Abraham's faith was not once a week. It did not affect only some of his life. Abraham's faith in God informed every aspect of his life. And this is the faith that we embrace Christ with every day. Our faith must be relational, responsive, and reliant. To live by faith in Jesus 
We must be relational with Jesus. We must be responsive, obedient to Jesus, and reliant upon him. And this is why Jesus says, you must abide in me. You must abide in me. See, abiding is living by faith. I want you to turn to, uh, to John 15, four through five, where G- Jesus kind of talks a little bit about this abiding. All right, he says, John 15, four and five. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says we must abide in him, which means to to live, to dwell in continuation with Christ, in Christ. See, when we abide, we are all those things that Abraham was, relational with God, responsive with God, and reliant upon God. When we abide, we live by faith in the Son of God. When we don't abide, we don't dwell in Jesus, we're no longer relational in our faith. We're no longer living in saving Abrahamic faith. Put plainly, when faith is void of relationship that abides in Jesus, it is not biblical saving faith. If you're not abiding in Christ, you are not living by faith. So now I ask a question that we should all ask ourselves every single day, every single day, every single night too. Am I abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you living in authentic faith in the Son of God every day? Is Jesus just a historical figure that you agree with, admire, maybe even want to be like? Or is he your living Savior who you cling to every single day? Because as Jesus just told us, if you're not abiding in him, you can't bear any fruit. For apart from the vine, you can do nothing. And see, this is where the, the deception of the Galatians creeps into the lives of so many Christians today. See, many attend church regularly. They go to, they go to Bible studies. They pray before meals. They, they read their scripture. They serve in ministries. But they do so without abiding in Jesus. They don't do so by living in faith in Jesus that is relational, responsive, and reliant. And see, the problem is, if we're not abiding in Jesus, living by faith in him every day, then all these good spiritual habits quickly become the means of our salvation. I'll say that again. The moment we stop abiding in Jesus, living by faith in him daily, right? Good works become the means of our salvation. Good works become the thing that that we think saves us. But as you know, good works does not save. Only Jesus saves. This This is legalism in disguise. 
The idea that we could live apart from Jesus every single day. If you do not abide in Jesus every day, you have been bewitched. Just as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, all of our works that we think we're doing while we're not abiding in Jesus, they're not good works. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what he says. If we're doing good works without abiding in Jesus, it will, every single time, turn to legalism. Every single time. Beware. And the deception is this, that they think that they can be saved without abiding in Christ. They think they can be saved without abiding in Christ. Do you? Do you think so? No. We must abide daily in Jesus. We must live by faith. Live by faith in the Son of God. Not just Sundays, every single day. You know, last week I, uh, I threw some leftover pizza in the toaster oven, right? And eagerly I sat, I, I sat down, I had, had the pizza ready. I just devoured through the pizza. I left the crust to the end, of course, right? Because that's what we do in New York. Can I get an amen? Is, does anybody else do that? Right, because obviously that's the best part of the pizza. So like, you know, you save the best for last. It's just, just conservative, it's, it's smart, right? So eagerly, I pick up the first crust. I bite it, I'm like, oh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that was so good. That, I've been missing that in Chicago. They got something else over there. It's, it's not what it is here. I'm like, this is this I need. And then I, and then I pick up the other crust and uh, eagerly put it to my mouth and <laughs> dust all over, mouth immediately dry. I'm like, just checking to see if my teeth are still in my mouth. It was hard as a rock. It looked like the other one, but it was hard inside. It was hard inside. It was hard inside. Church, online, listeners, Many Christians are doing the right things on the surface, but they are hard inside. They go to church, they give their percentage, they act morally, they read their Bible, they say their prayer, they serve in various ministries, but they do not live by faith in Christ Jesus. They do not abide in him. And these spiritual habits just become a cover-up for their hardness of heart inside. Are you abiding in Jesus? Jesus says to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 3, he says, I know your works. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I know your works, but you are dead inside. That's the case of so many. That's the case of so many. How does that happen? When you 
live your life apart from Jesus, when you live your life apart from the vine, we must be rooted in him every single day. Now I have eight things I wanna read here. Eight signs, eight warnings. These things should be going off in your mind saying, I'm not abiding with Jesus. If you find yourself thinking like this, and I say this from my own experience. So listen closely here. One, you find yourself engaging in religious activity solely because it makes you feel good and right. Two, you act much differently around some than others. Three, you don't find yourself needing Jesus every day or don't think that there's any sin in your life. You find, four, you find yourself regularly judgmental and unloving of others. Five, you try to earn God's love through obedience rather than obey because of his love. Six, you find yourself worshiping on Sunday but not on Monday through Saturday. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite pastors of all time, he, he said it best. He said, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. There is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday morning worship unless it is accompanied by Monday morning worship and Tuesday morning worship and so on and so on. Seven, you have fully compartmentalized God and spiritual matters from regular life. Church, regular life is in Christ. I hate when people say that, and I hate when I even feel like that. That regular life is not in Christ. Oh, we'll go to church and then, you know, work on Monday and then, you know, I'll get back to Sunday and we'll go back, you know, to spiritual life. No. It is reality every single day in Christ. And lastly, eight, there is little to no fruit in your life, and I'm talking most specifically about the fruits of the Spirit, which we'll get to in a few weeks. There's no love in your life. There's no joy. There's no peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If this is you, can I offer you some hope? This is what Jesus says to the hardened people. He doesn't leave them hardened. This is what he says to them. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. That is, the gospel, the truth, Christ crucified. You dead, living by faith. Remember then what you have received. Keep it and repent. In other words, repent and believe the gospel you first received. Jesus Christ in you and you in Jesus Christ. Abide in Jesus and he and you. Come back to the lover of your soul. Jesus says later in that same chapter of Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Embrace Christ again. He stands at the door and knocks. Let him in. He will come in and eat with you and you with him, abide in him and he 
in you. Live every day, every day by faith in the Son of God who loved you, who loved you and gave himself for you because of his love for you. Remember then the point of the gospel. Jesus redeemed us from sin so that we can have communion with God. So that there is no more separation between God and man. Oh my goodness, don't choose to live separate from God. Abide with him every single day. Maybe some of you feel as though, "Eh, I abide with him every other day, every couple of days. You're missing out. Oh my goodness, you're missing out so much. And I'm telling you from experience because I thought this, I thought that I could just do my, you know, church thing and then my home thing and then I'd be good. Can I tell you, I was frustrated constantly, tired, insecure, shameful. I never thought God loved me. I was confused. I was judgmental towards others, angry, often legalistic. And my good works was a cover-up for me. I was not abiding in Jesus every day. I was abiding in him in part. Church, we are the bride of Christ. Do you know that? If a bride said to her husband, I'll be married to you a couple days a week, how do you think that marriage would be? Is there any question why I was feeling that way when I was only abiding with Jesus every other day, every couple days? Well, by God's grace, I was convicted of this about a year and a half ago. And I repented and I obeyed, just like Jesus offers for us, repent and obey. And by God's grace, and a, and a slow process of faithfully dwelling in him, abiding with him daily. Some tell me I'm, I'm starting to look like Jesus. <laughs> but seriously, I am his workmanship. And it is by God's grace alone that I am his workmanship being made like Jesus every single day more and more and more I am living by faith in the son of God and can I tell you something by abiding by truly abiding I have learned what Jesus said when he went what he meant when he said these things he said peace I leave with you your joy will be full whoever comes to me will not hunger whoever believes in me shall not thirst Because I live, you also will live. I've experienced that. Oh my gosh, I've experienced that in 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 perhaps one of the worst years in human history. Is it me? No. It's abiding in Jesus, the vine. Apart from me, I can do nothing. I can't boast of anything. That's what Paul says. I cannot boast of anything but Christ in me and I in him. And church, you too can abide in Christ one day at a time. This was a hard year. This this was a a year of isolation to a degree, right? Did you isolate yourself from God? Because I know so many who have. 
Don't continue in that. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. Open the door. Let him in. He will eat with you, you with him. Abide in Jesus and he will abide in you. It's not too late. He loves you. So what about all these spiritual habits that I was talking about before, right? Are they a bad thing? No, of course not. No, these are not the means to our salvation. They are the gifts of what God gives us, the gifts by which we can abide with him every single day. And oh, what joy there is in participating in these gifts, abiding in Jesus. Oh my goodness, because when, when you're abiding in Jesus, everything changes. Legalism says, I have to go to church because it makes me closer to God. Life by faith in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, says I get to go to church and experience Christ and his bride in holy intimacy. Legalism says I have to pray because it's customary the Christian life. Life in Jesus says I get to pray and talk to the lover of my soul, the creator of the world, the ruler of eternity. Legalism says I have to read scripture and make my check off the spiritual to-do list. Life in Jesus says I get, I get to hear and read the word of God, almighty God, anytime I want. Legalism says I have to serve because then God will love me. Life in Christ says I get to serve because Christ loved and served me. Legalism says, I have to give in order to get blessing. Life in Jesus says, I get to give because Christ is my everything and gave me everything. Legalism says, I must not sin, then I'll make God proud. Life in Jesus says, because Christ died and rose again, I am now free from sin and have redeemed, have received new life in Christ. Oh, God forbid, I go back to the sin I've been freed from. This is the gospel. The news that we can abide in Jesus day by day. And we must abide in Jesus day by day. Church, you've heard the saying, fully God, fully man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Guess what? This profound mystery is the gospel God and man, one. How unbelievable is that? <laughs> this is the gospel. Fellowship with our creator, day by day, by faith in the Son of God. This is the gospel that needs no update. But us forgetful people, we need an update sometimes. So if that is you, if you need an update, hear the words of Jesus. Repent and believe in the gospel that you first heard. Abide in him and he in you. Join me in this prayer, will you? If you mean this with your heart, this is, this is the opportunity for a new start, right? Let's pray this together. Father in heaven, you are holy and I am not. Lord, I confess my sin. I have not abided with you 
and certainly not abided with you as much as I should. Father, please forgive me this sin by the blood of your son, Jesus. I ask for new life by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me because of his love. As I seek you, increase my desire to seek you. As I know you, increased my desire to know you and to be known by you. Jesus, abide in me as I abide in you. Let your Holy Spirit transform my heart and renew my mind. Make me like you. Thank you for saving me, for forgiving me, and continuing to save me every single day from the sin in me. Let your kingdom come soon. Let your will be done in my life. In the name of Jesus, Messiah, amen. Abide with Christ this day forth and forevermore.